Nadine. This is John. And this is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. Before we get started, we just wanted to let you guys know after this month, we will only be reviewing three movies a month. This is mostly due to scheduling conflicts and trying to keep up with the podcast and our everyday lives. It'll be the same basic format. The first two movies of the month will be from our movie list, and the third will be a cult movie that's actually not on the list. Um, so for this week, we'll be reviewing my pick, Donnie Darko, which was released in 2001. And Dan's going to start us off with some box office stats. Dan, go. All righty. So this movie, it had a budget of $6 million. Did not do too great at the box office. We'll go into why in a little bit, but domestically, internationally, $2.4 million. Just under $3 million overall. Critically, it did pretty well. Had eight stars on IMDb, and then we have an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 84% audience score. So critically well, bumped at the box office. All right, Nadine, give me some interesting moving facts. Uh, you got it. So for interesting movie facts, I have a couple. Hopefully John will like them. At the rap party for the film, Seth Rogen and Jake Gyllenhaal agreed that they had no idea what the movie was about. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being in a movie and all the way through, finally you finish and you're like all partying or whatever. It's like, so what was that movie about? <laughs> The best part is Seth Rogen. This is his breakout role into movies, into film. And his first line of this movie was, I like your boobs. So his first line that, in all That films... was Seth Rogen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it can't... now that you say it, it clicks. But I was just like, he just. Okay, okay, that's great. That That is actually great. That is yeah. fantastic. Okay, move on, move on. So Jake Gyllenhaal uses strategy of barely blinking to enhance his psychotic creepiness as he is driven by Frank. During conversations about sex with his therapist, the script had Donnie's fantasies about Alyssa Milano. This had to be changed to Christina Applegate due to legal reasons, which I want to know what those legal reasons are, but I did not find it. So if anyone knows. In the movie theater scene, Richard Kelly originally intended to have Donnie and Gretchen going to see Chud. However, there were problems with finding out who owned the rights to the movie. Finally, Sam Raimi came to the rescue by allowing Kelly to use footage from The Evil Dead free of charge. Which, John, you are going to hate that fucking movie. It is a cult classic. They watched a cult classic and a cult classic. Good luck, John. <laughs> Just like the movie. Going into freaking, like, Inception. All right. Wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is completely off topic. Is Inception a cult classic? Oh, uh, uh, uh. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I'd have to check that okay, one out. Well, I will figure. I will figure it out. Go ahead. Okay. So at the start of the movie, when Donnie rides his bicycle back into town, right after he passes the two ladies uh, out power walking, Frank drives by in his red Trans Am. While filming the scene where Kitty Farmer speaks about how Donnie directed her to put a lifeline exercise card in an uncomfortable place, the writer and director, Richard Kelly, laughed so hard he actually had to leave the set. And that, that scene is actually one of my favorites, how the dad, like, the dad basically laughed and then coughed to try and hide it. And it was just so awkwardly silent. He's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, did you notice Donnie in the background after his dad laughed? He just had this evil grin on his face, like, yep. Nobody cares. And then when they then when they left the room, Donnie's face was just had a giant fucking smile. He's like, ah, I love that. All right. So the first edit of the film ran two hours and 45 minutes. The director's cut is very close to the version that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January of 2001, which is not when they released the movie into the theaters. Just so you know, John, just, you know, just heads out. <laughs> I'll forget it in about five seconds. It's okay. Yes, you Go will. Ahead. 
When casting for the role of Donnie's sister, it came to writer and director Richard Kelly's attention that Maggie Gyllenhaal, who had few film credits at the time, would be available for the shoot. The agent who proposed her casting reminded Kelly of her scene in Cecil B. Demented, where she drank urine. Though Kelly was slightly hesitant towards the idea, he did like the way she drank urine, and he knew he wouldn't have to work hard at creating a sibling rivalry between her and her brother Jake. Time out. What? Yeah. She drank urine. <laughs> okay, I... I... I'm 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 sorry. How does that have anything to do with the person that chose? Wh- why? Wow, you drink piss really well. I want you. <laughs> yep. I want you to be the person that's going to be acting in this scene. Man, you looked great drinking that piss. I was hoping it was more for the fact that she's actually Jake Gyllenhaal's sister, her brother and sister. So like, you wouldn't have to work that hard to have that relationship it's between like, the oh, two you of them. Happen to also be an actress. Let's. She also happens to drink piss really well, so I want that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on the set of Charlie's Angels, Drew Barrymore and Richard Kelly agreed that her production company, Flower Films, would produce this film and that Barrymore would play Miss Pomeroy. Kelly says that if Bar- Barrymore hadn't set in, stepped in, the movie would have either gone straight to video or cable television via stars because they had a hard time having someone like release basically the film and support it. Uh, Vince Vaughn reportedly turned down the part of Donnie due to his age. Mark Wahlberg was interested in the part. And Jason Schwartzman was also strongly considered for Donnie, but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts, which is fine because I think Jake killed it personally. The words cellar door are written on the chalkboard in Karen Pomeroy's classroom when Donnie asks about their meaning. She replies that this famous linguist once said that all the phrases in the English language of all the endless combinations of words in all history... The cellar door is the most beautiful. On the director's commentary, Richard Kelly mistakenly attributes the phrase to Edgar Allan Poe, who is not a linguist, just a poet, but it actually was J.R.R. Tolkien. So that was that random uh, thing that you were telling me about. Yep. I mean, I've heard that before, that cellar door is the most beautiful term ever, but I was just like, okay. All right, so... Frank the Giant Rabbit was inspired by the animated film Watership Down, the one that was done in 1978. So the original advertising material featured a crashing plane for this movie. This movie was actually opening in October of 2001, right after September 11th, obviously. Naturally, this was all pulled, resulting in the film tanking at the box office due to the lack of advertising. It gained its audience when it was released on DVD, becoming a runaway hit and attracting cold attention. Can you imagine spending $6 million on a film? You spend your entire past four or five years you know, getting this film perfect. And then you release it, and it just so happens a terrorist attack happens, and your film picture was exactly the same. That's creepy. That is just weird. And that's unfortunate. I feel bad. Anyways, I'm going to go over the movie synopsis so we can uh, banter afterwards. So, the movie starts with Donnie waking up in the middle of a mountain, slightly disoriented, before biking back home. That night over dinner, Donnie's older sister, Elizabeth, tells her parents who she'll be voting for, because why the hell not? For which eventually leads to an argument between her and Donnie because she reveals that he stopped taking his pills. His mother is upset about this and visits him after dinner to discuss it. The conversation doesn't go well and Donnie calls his mom a bitch. Donnie feels guilty about this and takes medicine that night, causing a visit from Frank the Bunny Rabbit to happen. His first visit. Yeah, his first visit. (laughs) As Donnie is sleeping... Frank the bunny rabbit appears, telling Donnie, wake up and come to me to this golf course, where Frank reveals how much time they have left before the world ends. 
Now, back at Donnie's house, his older sister arrives home after a night of partying, stumbling in and through the door. Just before, a large boom happens, and a plane engine crashes through Donnie's bedroom. The next morning, Donnie wakes up in the golf course, and there was two people standing over and being like, Hey, you, have, you shouldn't be doing drugs right now. And walks back home to find his home surrounded by cops and firemen pulling the engine out of his roof. As they're there, the FAA agrees to set up the family in a hotel as they're fixing things up. Even though Donnie could have died when the plane injured into his home, his parents still make him go to school the next day. While in his English class, a new girl, Gretchen, arrives late and their teacher, Miss Pomeroy, has her sit next to the boy she thinks is cutest. Of course, she picks Donnie to sit next to and the two seem to have a moment. After school, Donnie's dad takes him to therapy and nearly waffles Graham. I'm sorry, Nadine, what? <laughs> this is well, a new it's, term. A, it's a New Jersey term, <laughs> oh, you, I think. You have to <laughs> you have to explain this to me. I'm not I'm not from here. Waffles? Waffles basically just means that uh, it's like the tire tread marks on a body after they flatten out. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's like waffle to squirrel or like waffle to Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> Donnie's dad takes him to therapy and nearly waffles grandma death. What is this sentence? I'll, I'll okay. make sure not to All say right. that again later on. <laughs> I'll just say nearly tire tread marks grandma death. Or splatters grandma death. Or Roberta Sparrow. During Donnie's therapy, he brings up that he has a new friend named Frank the Bunny Rabbit. Who appeared to him before the plane crashed into his room. He then tells her therapist, his therapist, that Frank told him to follow him into the future and that the world will end soon. His therapist then asked him if he believes the world is going to end. He responds, no, that's ridiculous. That night, Frank visits him again and encourages him to break the water main in his school, causing it to close down. As Donnie walks back home from the bus stop, he runs into Gretchen. As he walks her home, they get to know each other and ask her out, to which she says yes. Typical 2000s movie. Um, the scene then switches to another therapy session for Donnie, where his therapist asks if she can hypnotize him, and he's like, nah, that will never work, but ends up agreeing anyways. The therapist starts to slowly ease into the hypnotism, but accidentally steers him into almost jerking off. The next day in school, the police are there to compare handwriting to see who flooded the school and vandalized the statue. There is an emergency PTA meeting, which is completely taken over by Donnie's gym teacher, Mrs. Farmer. She is more upset about the book they're reading in their English class than the fact that the school is flooded and vandalized. By the way, great scene where he writes up on the chalkboard. He's like, Ugh, and then sits down. The police are like, mm hmm, yeah, and puts a question mark next to his name. I just thought that was funny. Now, at the same time the PTA meeting is happening, Donnie is having another visit from Frank through his bathroom mirror, which is kind of liquid-like. Donnie asks Frank why... Did he make him flood the school? And Frank says, well, they're all in great danger, of course. The scene then shifts class the next day with Mrs. Farmer, where she uses the curriculum from motivational speaker Jim Cunningham, whose philosophy is that everything is driven by fear or love. During the class, Donnie gets into an argument with his teacher, which lands him in the principal's office. And that scene is fantastic, the principal office scene. The next day, Donnie goes up to his science teacher, Mr. Monatoff, and asks him about time travel, and Mr. Monatoff gives him a book written by Grandma Death. This shocks Donnie enough that in his next therapy session, he tells his therapist that 
he thinks Franks wants him to talk to her, you know, Grandma Death. His therapist leads the discussion back to Grandma Death and what she said to him the day that his dad almost hit her. And he tells her that she told him everyone dies, everything dies alone, something Donnie seems to be afraid of. That night, Donnie and his dad are watching football together when he sees clear, oily tubes come out of their chests. It's like a pathway system that shows what they're going to be doing, but the people made it as clear, oily tubes. <laughs> Bubbles. Yes, yes, the directional bubbles. Donnie follows his tube. Nadine, come on now. <laughs> it's bubble. Put down bubble dad. every time. <laughs> Donnie follows his tube <laughs> <laughs> to his dad's room. <laughs> uh, okay, and he finds a gun there, which he takes. The scene then switches to Donnie's parents, going to see his therapist to see what is going on with him. The therapist explains she believes Donnie has paranoid schizophrenia and that she would like to continue hypnosis and up his medication. And his mother tearfully agrees after hearing about this weird fucking bunny rabbit named Frank. At the same time that the parents are talking to his therapist, Donnie is just casually stabbing the mirror where Frank's eye is lighting it up. The next day at school, Donnie is at an assembly for Jen Cunningham. During the assembly, Donnie calls out to Jim Cunningham for, you know, the BS that he's spouting. And the anger he feels from this follows him after school while he hangs out with Gretchen. Gretchen is concerned about him, and he shows her the book Grandma Death wrote. He goes on to explain that she wrote what she wrote describes perfectly the things he's been seeing that no one else can. The scene then switches to Donnie talking to his science teacher again about time travel. And the teacher is able to confirm everything Donnie is experiencing until Donnie mentions God. The teacher's like, what the fuck? This is a science conversation. No, and stops the conversation. The next day, as Donnie is walking to therapy, he finds Jim Cunningham's wallet out of Jim's house. And Frank says to him, now you know where he lives. And he smiles. At therapy, Donnie describes what is happening to him and what he's been seeing described perfectly in the book that he was given by his teacher. The scene then switches to the science classroom where Donnie and Gretchen are showing their project. The two bullies of the school mention during their presentation that Gretchen's stepdad tried to kill her mom. To comfort her, Donnie takes her to see a movie, The Evil Dead, the, the, the obvious choice when you're trying to comfort a traumatizing experience. For sure. During the movie, Gretchen falls asleep during a traumatizing movie, apparently, and Frank shows up. Donnie asks him why he always wears a mask. And Frank takes it off, revealing a bloody eye socket. Frank then has Donnie burn down Jim Cunningham's house while Gretchen is still sleeping in the movie theater. As Donnie is off burning, you know, his house down, his little sister and her dance team are in a dance competition set up by Jim Cunningham. The girls' team wins the competition or offered to fly out to the next leg of the competition in Los Angeles. The next morning, Donnie's sister Elizabeth is watching the news when it shows that Jim Cunningham, the poor guy, is getting arrested for a child porn dungeon hidden away in his house that just so happened to be exposed from Donnie burning down the home. Mrs. Farmer also finds out that morning that, you know, Cunningham's kid porn dungeon, and instead of being disgusted by him, believes he's got to be being framed. She starts a defense team for him and convinces Donnie's mom to go with the girls to L.A. for their competition instead so Mrs. Farmer can go to his arrangement. The movie then skips forward to Donnie's English teacher leaving the school as she was fired for her curriculum. Curriculum. Donnie asks why she has a cellar door written on the board, and she says, well, a linguist said it was beautiful. 
and then charges out of the classroom with a flag in her hand and just kicks the door open. It's great stuff. Then, after the two leave her classroom, Donnie sees Sharita, an often bullied girl, and tells her that he promises that one day everything will be better for her. The scene then shifts to Donnie as a therapist's office, under hypnosis again. Donnie reveals to Dr. Thurman that he flooded his school and that he burned down Cunningham's office because Frank told him to, and that if he didn't follow what Frank said, he would be alone again. Donnie then tells her that Frank said that he only has a few days left and breaks down when Frank appears and shows him the sky opening up. The therapist is like, it's okay, Donnie, and takes him out of the hypnosis. The next morning in the kitchen, Donnie's sister Elizabeth tells him that she got into Harvard. Donnie tells her that we should throw a party. Well, you know, her parents are gone. She agrees as long as it's small. So lo and behold, there's a gigantic party. That night at the Halloween Rager, Gretchen arrives visibly shaken as she had just come home to find her house messed up and her mother missing. After consoling her in his room, they go back downstairs where Donnie finds Frank, left a message, and one of the clear tunnels goes over his face and shows him the sky opening up. Donnie freaks and has Gretchen and his two friends come with him to Grandma Death's house. And once there, Donnie sees her cellar door and enters it, looking for her or clues as to what could be happening. While down there, the bullies jump him and Gretchen with knives and bring them outside where they throw him to the ground try and kill Donnie. A car speeding down the road chases them away, but oh no, it runs over Gretchen. After trying to miss Grandma Death, who was probably going to die anyways, who was standing in the middle of the road. The guy driving the car comes out and reveals that he's Frank. Donnie's like, how dare you? And shoots Frank in the eye. Upset over Gretchen's death, he carries her back to his house, grabs the keys, and drives her body up the mountain road where he woke up on in the beginning of the movie. Now, while up there, Donnie watches as the tornado touches the ground and, and the plane his family is in gets knocked out of the sky. Because of this, time begins to reverse back to the day the plane engine fell in his room, showing him there moments before the engine comes in. Donnie is seen hysterically laughing on bed as he waits. The scene then shifts to show what people he interacted with were doing as the engine fell through his ceiling. And the next morning, the family is shown absolutely devastated on the lawn as workers take the engine off the property and brings Donnie's body out of the house. As this happened, Gretchen pulls up and asks the boy on the street what happened. He's like, well, his neighbor's son died. The last scene in the movie is of Gretchen waving to Donnie's mom as both of them recognize each other, but they're just like, well, why? And there we go. That was the synopsis. If you followed along so far, I'm proud of you. We're now going to go to the review of the movie. <laughs> I'm going to take a couple swigs of my beer. Jesus. I had a hard time making this one shorter. Great job, maybe... John. Great job. Dude, I had a hard time reading it as well, Nadine. This, like, every line, every line was like a small snippet of the movie all smashed together into this, like, paragraph mashed potato of a movie. How else are you gonna fucking like, do it? We, this movie is so fucking dense. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you, how do you do I it? I don't know. Go on Google and be like, hmm, written synopsis of movie. Grabs it. Paste. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your fault. This movie was absolutely chaotic, and I had to watch it twice before I even understood somewhat of what was going on. It's okay. I've got you, John. But... <laughs> oh, thank you, Nadine. I appreciate it. They know it also has me this beer, so you guys can talk, and I'm going to drink for a second because I have a dry throat. <laughs> All right. So, Dan, did you want to say anything before I got into what I get into? This movie, there's there's a lot. It deserves multiple watches because each each scene has a lot of different things that give it more context. So, we'll, we'll go over it section by section. I think uh, Nadine has this one laid out really good, but before we start on that, 
there's just one scene I have to bring up repeatedly in conversation with you guys, and that is the principal office scene. That was such a good scene. I had to rewind and watch it like ten times over. There's several gems of scenes in this movie. <laughs> several gems. Yeah. Oh my god. What what is what was the exact words that she said? He told me to put my something card up my anus, and then her dad his dad like almost fucking loses it, but manages to cover it with a cough, and the principal's giving him that side glare. Like you fucking dare. <laughs> I think on second views you realize like the the dad is you watching the movie and, and for the most of the part. The way he reacts to some of the things. Okay, that was it. Alright, Nadine, go ahead. <laughs> I, I will. All right. So I read a couple articles for this movie, particularly so I could get it right. So when I go to explaining it, I, I have it. Apparently, the director actually said some of this in the director's cut, which I did not watch because it's two hours and 45 minutes. So basically, this is what I'm going to read you exactly what I wrote, because otherwise, I don't think I'm going to explain it well. So what I said was this movie is mostly about time travel and parallel universes or more accurately, non-primary and primary universes. The timeline in which Donnie lives is technically not his primary universe, but a tangent universe that was created from an anomaly entering the primary universe. Because the tangent universe is not a very stable universe, Donnie, who is considered a living receiver, which is the person chosen to fix the anomaly so that both the primary and the tangent don't collapse, um, he's basically was chosen to fix it because he was in the area or was supposed to be in the area at the time that it was actually created, the anomaly. He has to go back in time when the anomaly originally appeared and accept his death in order for the tangent universe to collapse safely without destroying the primary universe. The tangent is able to go on a loop multiple times until Donnie is able to save the universe, which is why characters in the movie experience deja vu often. However, even though the universe is able to loop, it is only capable of staying open for a few weeks at a time. So I'm assuming that the universe this tangent universe maybe goes on a faster time frame. I'm not sure. Otherwise, it may have already collapsed. This is the one part that's kind of like a hole that's poking through. Anyway, Donnie also has help from surrounding characters called Manipulating Living and Manipulated Dead. The living can only leave clues or lead Donnie through a series of events to help Donnie towards his end goal. Like, for an example, when the bullies were in the basement, they're manipulated living characters. So whatever their reasoning may be in the movie, they are there so that Gretchen gets run over by Frank and Frank dies. So Frank can go back in time and basically have Donnie do what he needs to do to accept his death when the plane engine comes through his room. So the universe is, the tangent universe can collapse safely and the primary universe versus the main universe can continue to exist. So... Whereas the manipulated dead, like Frank, can outright tell him what to do and what is going to happen. Frank multiple times shows him the sky opening up, so the plane crashing. He basically, you know, said, tells him, like, you know, you're gonna, the world is going to end in this amount of days. You have to do something about it, and then shows him what he needs to do. The another thing that I think was pretty interesting for this movie is that Grandma Death, the reason why she wrote that book, I believe she was another living receiver like Donnie. Apparently not all of them have to die in order for the both universes to, for the problem to be solved, the anomaly to be solved. In her case, she came back from the anomaly, quit being a nun, and became a scientist. So I actually have to share something. I'm not yeah. sure if you, uh, if you guys have watched uh, any bit of The Flash, but if not, that's fine. I'm going to explain anyway. So there's a specific point in, you know, in uh, The Flash comics where it's something called The Flash Point, where... 
he decides to change his past by going fast enough and it creates an alternate timeline that shouldn't exist. And right. if he kept it being existing, it would have destroyed the universe. And I thought, you know, for a movie that comes off like a, well, let's, let's be honest, a $6 million budget movie, they incorporated some very high, high thinking on science and stuff like that. And that's probably the reason why this is such a cult classic is because people can keep coming back to this movie and being like, well, actually, it should be like this instead of this. And it's just an inevitable argument that leaves you up to discussion because, first off, where did that parallel or, you know, that extra universe come from? Why did it appear? You know, why is it that he was chosen? Why did he have to die? Or why was he smiling when he died? You know, oh, so many different things. And it just leaves people to uh, thinking their own method or own reasoning for it. And that's just why it's such a cult classic. I mean, I don't what, think it's what do you just... think, Dan? Oh, go ahead, Dan. Oh, no, yeah. Talked I, yet, so I, I'm trying to introduce him, you know, into the conversation. Hi, guys. I'm Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I think you're right that, like, there's a lot of hidden lore in this movie. But I think that the director actually did have some very specific things that he was trying to get across. But I think Nadine can give us a little more information on that. Because <laughs> it's one of your favorite movies. I've basically been talking his ear over about this for a couple days now. So basically what I said that tangent that I gave, that's what the director was going for. They literally made a book with all of this shit inside of it just for this movie. And you can even buy it. It was made several years after by the fans, but the book that was in there, it has scientific facts in there for it. Basically, when the universe, the anomaly came in, the anomaly, anomaly was that plane engine. That plane engine is from the plane when his mom and his sister and his dad are coming back from his sister's dance competition. Now, in the primary universe, he died. So they never were actually on that plane. But that engine from the future came to the past, traveled back into the past. That's what created the tangent universe. Because the tangent universe was able to basically loop itself back around to bring Donnie back to the time where the engine came through. He actually had to die in order for the universe to collapse the way it did. And the entire portion of the tangent universe was basically him accepting his death was coming and that it was inevitable. Well, I want to, I want to say something that might kind of, if you want to have a perfect key to a lot of things that are happening, um, when people think of time, right? They think it's only linear. It can only go in one direction. It's well, not. that was actually proven wrong. It can go in technically any direction. Mm -hmm. It can go back in time. It can go forward in time. Or it could be a delayed still time, right? And theoretically, then, it can go forward in time and then suddenly back and then forward again, um, which is very, very high-level physics that I'm not going to explain because I'm an idiot and I have no idea what that is. But... If you think about it, then, then the movie makes sense. And that's one of those moments where time basically allowed itself to go back and then forward again, creating this weird fucked up situation where this poor schizophrenia bloke just has to just, you know, die in order to make things that, you know, no one else dies. He didn't have to. He could have he's just he could have just lived. But still, he did have to. Otherwise, both universes would have collapsed. And the reason why is because he should have died in the past when that, in the original timeline, when the uh, plane fuselage or the engine of the plane hit him and killed him. 
which right. happened in the future because it was it was destined to happen. You you get where a lot of people are like what the hell. And now I want to bring something up, uh, Nadine, on this that I think is pretty cool. So you know how the entire movie hints at him saying he doesn't want to die alone, right? Yeah. The entire movie says um, it. And how everyone event, everyone dies alone is what Grandma Death says. And that's the entire point of the movie. And how he clearly did not want to, which I think in the very beginning, he already knew he was dead. He already was very, very well aware that he was dead. Because when he went back, and you could tell when the movie went from one universe to another, when he walked back to the... Uh, or when he woke up and he was being laughed at by people that were in the golfing thing, it just seemed a little bit out of place. Now, when he b went back to his house and he, he discovered all that, I think he already knew he was dead. I left a lot out that the article did that I read, and I can actually link it in the, in the show notes so that everyone can read it themselves. But basically, the way that it works is that when this universe was created, he because he's a living receiver, it, the universe basically loops. He is aware, but not aware. He is supposed to have those hallucinations and things like that, which are not actually hallucinations. Frank is a manipulating dead. No, he died. So basically, the way it was explained is that when he died, he became aware of what happens in the universe. And at that point, knows what he has to do in order to have it stop. So his job was literally just to have Donnie accept his death eventually go back in time to die when that plane engine comes into the roof of his home and have it crush him. That was his job. Dan, what do you think the movie, um, what all this means? So when I first watched this movie, when it kind of like my thought was it, it's like, you couldn't really tell if the whole movie was just like a, his final moments of dying. And because he's schizophrenic, he has this like grand vision of like, he does all these things before he dies like falls in love, burns down houses, floods a school. But rewatching it and kind of going through it bit by bit, there's a, a lot of important things that he does that kind of saves certain characters throughout the, the movie. And he realizes he has to follow this path so that basically the world can go on as it should. In some ways, like it's cool that like he's doing this to save these people, but in, in reality, it's kind of like it has nothing to do with saving people. It's just making sure the world can continue. Yeah. Because he saves someone like Gretchen, but he also saves someone like the, the pedophile guy. Yeah. Cunningham. So initially, like, I thought this was, like you would say, we were saying, kind of just a fever dream he was having before he died. But in reality, I think there is like a, a science fiction aspect to it that this whole alternate reality is actually happening in the movie. Well, I have to, I will have to say, um, I when you look at it as an initial viewer, that fever dream aspect, I think that although it may not be the director's intention, because again, he only had a six million dollar budget. If he had like sixty million, the movie the movie would have been entirely different, probably would have been much better received. But I think uh, I think the outright aspect is that like you know how your life flashes before you when you die, but instead of flashing into the past what if it allowed you to complete all the things that you actually wanted to do and and solve all of the the dilemmas that were in that were inside you before you died right and you could also take it as that in this movie where 
instead of it flashing all of the all of his experiences in his life it solved all the conundrums that he was thinking about before he died and then gave him the peace that he wanted when he died so he was already dead when the movie pretty much started but it just showed all the things that he wanted to do when he died or all the things that you know helped him you know get to the point where he accepted his death or something like that damn that yeah that's that and it's hard it's hard to kind of it's hard to kind of watch the movie and see that differently, especially if you're just watching it for the first time. And that's, that's the thing too. I think that's another reason why this movie failed. Nadine is that, um, or failed originally besides that nine 11 thing is that when people watch this movie for the first time, they go home and they're, they're kind of like, what the fuck did I just watch? You know, it's a hard it one. It really makes sense. It, it yeah. and it was so hard for me to watch. What is wrong what? with you guys choosing the movies that make me struggle? I, I kind of would be curious, like, in an alternate world where this movie wasn't released in 2001 and oh could be god. marketed fully. <laughs> oh my god. Like, I don't think it would have done as badly as it... No, as I it think it probably would have done much better. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, I'm though, it, it, is, but... it is kind of ironic that the movie, the entire premise of the movie was, a, was an engine killing the main character of the movie, and he had to... Uh, you know, create an alternate, blah, 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 right? But, and when the movie was released, 9-11 happened? Like, I don't know, man. That's just, that's just weird to me. I'm not saying yeah, it's suspicious, tw- but that's just down the line, way too coincidental. are going to be cult classics because they were released during COVID. It's, it's, it's just like... Right. Okay, I'm it's... just going to say this right now. That is a very interesting thing to say, and if this podcast still goes on by then, I'm going to hate you for it. Okay. Because I know there's a lot of horrible movies that were released this year that someone's going to be like, wow, that was a cult classic. There's a Let few. me upload that to IMDb. The one thing I do want to oh say is God. that the most, some of the things that are the most debatable, because I don't think the director ever mentioned anything about it, was like, he has commentary on like society, mental health, religion, all of that in this movie. And at first, the first time I watched it, I thought it was like anti like religion, period. I think it's just afterwards because he does mention god i think it's just anti-organized religion because there's large portions of the movie that end up pushing it forward that are things like so like mrs farmer she's fucking annoying she's a cunt i don't like her um she wow is... <laughs> okay you're gonna grow up to be mrs farmer now just because you said that jeez nadine i don't <laughs> think so i don't think that... <laughs> no i don't think so either <laughs> She's like super overly religious and has blind faith, even when it comes out that Jim Cunningham has like fucking kitty porn dungeon in a secret room in his fucking living room behind a goddamn painting of himself. And she's like, I'm going to create a defense team. Not only am I going to create a defense team, I'm going to like not go to my daughter's competition that it's a great opportunity for her. And go to his arraignment instead. Like, what the fuck, woman? And it's because she's kind of like in this like mindset that, you know, this is just how it works. It's organ it's it's it she's part of that group think for that particular group where she okay. can't come out of it. Now talking about that particular group, when I okay, can we just talk about uh, the the multiple golden lines of their little recording that they did that they displayed to children that was like i overcame fear and now i love or and then it just suddenly showed another woman she was standing there and she's like i overcame my fear and then the the headline below it was like victim 
of fear or something like that. I was just looking at that like, what? this feels so unironically like the shit that you see in high school and middle school that you watch and you're like, what the hell is this garbage? But growing up, you look back on it like it was a joke, but it's so realistic. It's Victim also kind of fear, like cultish too. Like, have you ever seen of those any of those more the, some of the more recent cults? A lot of them go by like kind of the same concept where they're like, oh, um, one of the ones I can't remember what it's called right now. Uh, shit, it's the one where they all killed themselves because they had to ascend to the next world where the aliens were going to come yeah, and get them. Um... What is it? Something Manson or whatever? No, that's seventies, dude. That's the that's the Manson. Then they're that's that's different. This one is more. Uh, I know what you're talking about. The guy, the guy that uh created a cult and they all killed themselves all at once in the early two thousands or whatever. That one, yes. Was it nineties or two thousand? Charles yeah. Manson is what there is what it is, right? Charles no, Manson's that, from Charles the fucking seventies. He killed a movie actress who was pregnant. Different person. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but Charles Manson is kind of attractive. He's a no, hottie. he's not. <laughs> anyway, so th- this this oh, that cult no. in particular was about like living without fear. There's a couple. Oh, there's another one that was more recent too. I think where they ended up killing the their kids, and it was another one where it was like they were about healthy living. They did a lot of podcasts that were about healthy living and not having fear in your life. And it was a fucking cult, and they killed their kids and buried them in the fucking backyard. Like, I can't remember that what their like names a great are. weekend. Great weekend, right? But, like, that is kind of cultish. That's kind of what he was doing. They follow him blindly. She followed him fucking blindly. Like, that's... And it, that's basically what he was showing in the movie. Wow, that's amazing, Nadine. Dan, what do you think? I think there's, like, this subtle tech like subtext of god's plan that you have to follow to keep the world working that the, i mean the, you could look at it like that and i, I, I totally say get it. it in the movie <laughs> uh, no no you could look at it like that and i totally get it but i mean look at him the character is, is a schizo schizophrenic paranoid right and that's that, just what the and the Psychiatrist he had mental told issues well, before he had these, but he never yeah. had like hallucinations. Um, he did sleepwalk a lot, probably from like stress or whatever. But this was not—I don't know if he necessarily had paranoid schizophrenia in this movie. We, we won't—we don't actually really know. We know he had mental issues beforehand. Yeah, he displays yeah. the symptoms, but but if, that's because if, he's in, in the, the, the actual... universe. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let, let's talk about fucking happy things real quick. So. Nadine, you wrote here um, that the Smurf conversation. Can can we talk about the golden that's... lines of that fucking conversation? Oh my god, yeah that that's one of my favorites. It's not my favorite scene, but it's like my favorite scene is the uh, the definitely that you know college, or sorry, high school um, principal scene. But like, yeah, that scene itself was really really good. How he argued about the Smurfs. He's like, uh uh-uh, uh, listen. Yeah, he schools them in in Smurf lore. Like, that's like, <laughs> like if you imagine. And, and also, the the fact that the two his two friends know who Vanity Smurf is, but don't know that Gargamel created Smurfette. Come on, I don't even. Yeah, know I I just can't is. get over it. <laughs> exactly, I don't know either. I don't know what Vanity Smurf looks like, but but it's like he goes just like he just berates them about Smurfs and. 
right, that's dude, that's my favorite scene. Dude, I I just I just I just love how it started from Grandma Death and how they're roasting her, right? And then it immediately goes to Smurfs, and then it goes right back to Grandma Death. Like that is such a high school teenager type of scene. While, while I, they're shooting at like bottles. Yeah, they're shooting at bubble bubbles. Uh, back to the fucking tube shit again. Um, Bob, bottles. what were they shooting at? Glass bottles. This what you do in Virginia, I guess. I mean, Nadine, you're from Virginia, right? Dude, bitch, I was born and raised in Jersey. <laughs> oh, that you explains a lot of things. That explains definitely explains you. Anyways, um. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Anyways, Dan, continue. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Yes, I'm continuing. What am I, what am I talking about right now? Uh, we were doing Smurf. I but agree. I, th- I think we yeah. need to move on to the next section. Before we do that, yes, I, I did want to put one other thing in there that I thought was really funny. So in the beginning of the movie, the two bullies, they're snorting coke in the fucking hallway, and the principal clearly sees them doing it. And it's just like, fuck it, and then walks away. <laughs> that is such a... Yeah, but come on. That's such an 80s thing. It is. It, I'm not and really sure if that's I feel like, like this still movie, allowed in 80s schools. The principal was probably like, oh, you know, I served in World War II. Um, the principal probably sold it to them. Like, it's the 80s. <laughs> oh my like, god, Dad. <laughs> He's actually probably not wrong. <laughs> oh Alrighty. my god. So, is it or isn't it? Dan? Oh, yeah. This is, this is like, another hands-down cult classic. Like, didn't get a whole lot of notoriety when it first came out. Critical reception was good, but then it kind of went dormant for, like, a couple months. And then when it came to DVDs, people, like, really latched onto it. Had a very big underswelling of fans created, and that's why we're talking about it today. So, the, I think this is a clear example of a uh, cult classic. I'm just going to say, of fucking course it is. I mean, this has so many aspects of a cult classic that I I I I like to find the negative first before I find the positive. But when it comes to it being a cult classic, absolutely, it's literally everything that defines a cult classic. Things that people would never normally want to watch, but they always remember something that they watched when they were younger. I feel like that's just one of those movies. Obviously, I say yes too. It 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 literally has like everything in it that makes it. It's got the music. The music in this movie was bomb. You you gotta put it out there. People, I didn't that. even mention the music. My I favorite, know, one of my favorite songs, "Mad World." Get it to fucking together. Oh, come on, Nikki, give me a second. <laughs> give me a second, right? I got I gotta fucking say this now. Come on. All right, all right, guys, listen, listen. You see. Mad World is one of my favorite songs. It's up there with Sound of Silence, right? And I'm not talking, like, of course, the, the renditions of these songs are nice, but, like, the original songs are some of my favorite songs. And the Sound of Silence, like, I never really thought about it, but... Or, sorry, the Mad World, never really thought about it when I listened to it. It fitted the movie so unbelievably well. It kind of made me uncomfortable. And then, Nadine, you were like, uh... What'd you say before we started the podcast? It was something along the lines of like, uh, Mad World was no, no, no. What'd you say? I forgot. So you said, Oh, it's Simon and Garfunkel. And I was like, No, it was done by Jerry Jules. He re recorded it straight for this movie. It was a re- That's redone. It. That's it. 
how they redid the the song for the movie and it made it seem like when I looked it up online because I was curious because like how the hell is Mad World in this movie and it made it seem like they wrote this song for this movie I'm like that's not fucking right this song came out in the 1980s uh, well anyway that's I spent a long time on it I love that song anyways let's continue sorry all right so it's a great song great song I said yes <laughs> let's rate the movie Dan <laughs> Uh, I will give it a seven. It's it's a great movie. It's like well worth the watch. I think it's a very very good movie. The reason I don't give it like an eight or nine or ten just to it's not one of my top favorite movies. It's just like I there's not really a character that I connect with exactly. What a like great movie to me is is a movie that like I can feel myself with like either the protagonist character or I can just like feel for that character. Donnie Darko just doesn't really like draw me in that way. But it's otherwise, it's just a, a great movie. All right, Nadine. Um, I give this movie like a solid eight and a half. I don't. It's not a nine, but it's not a eight for me. It's in the middle, so it's an eight and a half. It's one of my favorite movies. I've watched this movie a million and one times, and every time I watch it, I'm just like, nah. I found something new that's even makes the movie even better. So, I, it's an eight and a half. John. I'm going to give it a five. You're a fuckface. Um, <laughs> I knew you. I knew you would say that. I had this rating in my mind after I watched it. I'm like, Nadine's going to fucking hate me. Here's the thing about this movie, right? It's a good movie. But at the same time, it's not a bad movie either. It's not a fantastic movie, but it's not an awful movie. It's kind of deadline in the middle. Like, there's a lot of things good about this movie, but... I feel like we glossed over the things that are kind of eh about the movie as well. Like, for me, when I watched this movie, there was a lot of cringy stuff that just is stereotypical for the early 2000s, late 1990s. And I just didn't enjoy the movie in a lot of parts, but I really enjoyed other parts of the movie. I'm just going to go solid down the middle and say it's a five. Because, I mean, that's... I didn't really enjoy it, but I didn't really hate it either. So we'll leave it as that. But I do hate you, Nadine. So there's that. Oh, John, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're so welcome. <laughs> All right. Would we recommend this, guys? Um, I will do it last. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, definitely uh, watch this movie. The, the quintessential, like, 2000s, early 2000s, like, cult classic movie. Watch it. It's good. Nice. Nadine, what do you think? I would say yeah, uh, because it's if you're into cult movies, this is a movie that you're going to want to watch anyway. It, it has all the cult movie markers for it. So definitely, if you may not like it, it may be hard to get into because it's hard to follow. And if that's not your thing, I would, I would say if you're into cult movies, give it a try. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah, this is like a benchmark cult classic movie, I'd say. All right. Sure. Well, I'm going to say absolutely not. Um, if someone comes to me and it's one of my close friends, they're like, "Hey, you want to watch cult? Uh, what cult classics should I watch?" You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them like, "Oh yeah, watch The Fifth Element. Um, uh, watch uh, whatever movie we're gonna be talking about next because I actually didn't recommend a lot of cult um, a lot of movies so far. But yeah, watch The Fifth Element. But this is probably like one of those movies where I run out of things to actually recommend, and I'm like, uh, "Have you heard of Donnie Darko?" And they're like, "No." I'm like, "Okay, well then forget about it then." So no. All right. Nadine's absolutely going to hate me. 
I mean, I know you love this movie. No, oh, see, like we can't agree on everything. No, you can't agree on everything. And plus, there's gonna be a lot <laughs> Especially of Especially not with me. Love that are cult movies that you're not gonna like. Like, first off, Evil Dead, uh, Army of Darkness. They're not meant to be serious, but they are horrible movies. They are meant to become. They're not meant to be taken seriously, and they're kind of horror. So there's a lot of blood and gore in them, and you're gonna watch them, John, and you're gonna fucking hate them. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I even watched the TV show that came out for the fucking movies. I watched every movie like eight times. You are not going to like them <laughs> at all. Like you have no well, choice. You have to watch them. I'll tell you this right now. We have that Studio Ghibli movie coming up, right? Yeah. Um. What is it? Uh. My neighbor Totoro. Yeah, my neighbor Totoro. And uh, I'm just I'm thinking about it because I've me and Satori actually uh, watched a little bit of it yesterday. Well, sorry, I watched a little bit of it and she watched the whole thing. And I can absolutely tell you right now, you guys are going to fucking hate it. Dude, I grew you up with that movie. Are... I know that movie. I love it. Okay, well, Dan's absolutely going to hate it. Dan's not going to like just it. By, just by Dan's personality, he's going to be like, why the fuck did I watch this at the very, very end? <laughs> I, um, I mean, I'll, I'll give any movie a fair shot, but I'm not a big anime fan, so... Did you just call Studio Ghibli anime? Bro, we're going to have a know. conversation. It's not, it's not anime. I know it's anime. It's it's sarcasm. But anyways. It's um, not, it's, it's not an, really, but it is. It's not really, but it is. I I wouldn't count it as anime. But I guess if you're really. Yeah. I'm not, I don't watch anime, so I couldn't really give you a definite. But I wouldn't count it. Well, the reason why yeah, I brought yeah. it up is I'm a huge sucker for animated films. I always think it takes a lot more talent than saying the camera and looking good. And acting than it does for a person to sit down and render so much animation. And that I'm a huge person of animated films, which is why you'll find out that I've chosen a lot of animated films in the future. And Nadine has a bar behind her <laughs> that sounded like bottles were shattering. You guys can ignore that. We literally um, have a bar next door. You can go downstairs in our apartment building, turn right, bar. We have a bar right there. <laughs> yep. Here I have a bar yeah. sitting on my shelf right now that has a lot of alcohol that are probably not me unconscious if I drank it all. But anyways, um, I I choose a lot of uh animated films. If there's an animated film, it's mine. I mean that was part of the deal that Nadine had a couple of weeks ago, and I don't. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> um... Hey, at anyways least, at least nubby is being good that's her hamster's name by the way because she has no toes she's she's not even chewing on the cage or running in her wheel she's like the recording i'm gonna be have, you, have you guys ever had hamster well, tacos like, they taste like, pretty good so we there, like an hour before the yeah. podcast started like it was like blaring music people talking outside so for the most part it wasn't that bad this was well, this is actually pretty tame yeah well Anywho, I like animated films more than I like movies. And when it comes to a movie like uh, Johnny Zarco, it, it has a lot of merits, but at the same time, it's just not a movie I would typically watch. And when if I recommend a movie to someone, it's something it's something I have to truly enjoy first. And if I rate a movie as five, where it's like, eh, it's it's a movie. Why would I recommend that to you guys? So to end it on a solid note, I'm just going to say no, because personally, I wouldn't watch this movie again. Why would I recommend it to someone if they're not going to enjoy the movie more than me? <sighs> Win some and lose some. John doesn't like anything. <laughs> so Nadine, so Nadine, um, how many movies are you going to recommend to me and be all excited about when I'm going to tell you they're freaking awful? Uh, 
This is the I only one that I was your, like change your mind on them. Oh no, I'm gonna rec I'm I'm gonna rec a million recommend a million and one movies. They're just not all gonna be to you, and I'm gonna pick them for the podcast, but it's not all gonna be in your favor. This one I thought like if you got what was going on in the movie, you might like. Well, here we've talked about this before. If I have to dig deep for the plot and really think about it, why would I watch a movie then? If I'm gonna have to really think and dissect something, I'm, I might as well be like Dan and take a biology degree. Like, no. What? I sit down to watch and up. relax when I go to movies. <laughs> I don't have to dissect some bullshit called Donnie Darko. See, see, you, you don't want to. You don't want to watch a movie. You actually, have to think about is what you're saying. Yes, I want to okay. sit down. And I want to enjoy every minute of it. Well, I want to sit down and think about you know my existence and w whether or not I've experienced that alternate timeline. Good luck, motherfucker, because you're not going to like most of these goddamn movies. <laughs> why do you think I'm? Why do you think you guys chose me for the podcast? Because you want my exalted, glorious opinion of a normal fucking person while you weirdos are watching this shit and loving it. Well, the good news is the pre predator does not get that deep, so. No, but you're not going to like it. Still. There's another stage of things that aren't good. Here's the thing. There's a stage of things that just aren't good and don't have much depth. And, I mean, that's like that movie Surf Nazis Must Die. I mean, every every time every time I think about that movie, I think of, wow, how much depth that is in the fucking ocean. It's all it had. Dan. Hi, John. <laughs> All right, Nadine, we should close this out. All right. So if you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk to us about movies, you can find us through our Facebook group. It's Snassy Podcast, S-N-A-S-Y. I changed it because it's easier to fucking find us this way. Don't worry. We'll plug every single episode we recorded beforehand because we recorded three months ahead. You can find us on Instagram. Same thing. Snassy Podcast, S-N-A-S-Y. Or you can email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. If you guys like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us get us out there and have more people find us. Just a heads up, we will be reviewing Predator, released in 1987 next I week. I bought it on DVD for this, guys. Dan bought it on VHS yeah, and outro. DVD. <laughs> My yeah. God, Dan. I win. <laughs> I went to the thrift store and I just casually found it. I'm like, wow, these guys are going to like this if I buy it on he, DVD. So I bought it for bit, $2. Dude, he bit on it three times. <laughs> On three different bids on eBay. <laughs> Wait, so he went on eBay to find the fucking movie, and he was like, yeah. "Damn, $17? That's a good deal." Let me bid no, nineteen. No, no, none of the bids were more than like three bucks. Yeah, I spent two dollars. Now we see how much value we have to this movie. Nadine's fucking watching it free on like Google or something. I don't know. I just love that you haven't even like criticized me for having a VHS player. Uh, why would I? There are so many good VHS movies, such as Rugrats, all grown up. All right. Respect. <laughs> Sarcasm. All right, guys. We're done here. Nadine, close it out. All right. Make sure to tune in again next week. See you guys later. Bye! See ya.